Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a lovely lady. Her name is Monica Ortiz. She's the CEO, founder of Exceptional Life Institute and self-educator. Welcome, Monica. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you for inviting me on your show. It's lovely to have you. And we're going to be talking about something quite different today, something I've not actually done with anybody before, and that's around what's your normal in relationships. But before we get into that, Monica, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what's led to you doing what you're doing now. So I have uh, been working with people for uh, probably about 35 years. Um, I first got into the space of helping people with their uh, situations when I was young. Um, I'm part Native American. And so in the Native American tradition, uh, you know, they kind of watch you and see where your where your personality fits. And I showed a lot of compassion, empathy and, and want to help people. And so that's where I was maneuvered. Um, so there was a lot of study done um, in how best to help people. And then because my mother was in Western medicine, um, she was in neurology. I then studied uh, psychology and physiology and physiological psychology and behavioral psychology and uh, biology because I started finding links with within people of um, what we now call what is now the normal to call mind body spirit medicine. Yeah. Um, yes. So I started finding links, and this was way back in the day. So I started finding links to mind body spirit healing um, and understanding that I had to really do a lot more study research. Uh, a lot of research happened. I developed programs and, uh, and then I discovered that the self-help world, uh, was what I call a little bit fluffy. Mm. Um, it was, it's very designed to make you feel good, which is wonderful. We all want to feel good. We all want to know that we're connecting to other people who have our same problems, but I was discovering that it, there wasn't a lot of tools being given. Okay. While we, while we know we have the same issue, how do we work through that issue? So I decided that I was going to tackle moving self-help into self-education. And so, yeah, that's what I've been doing for a while now. <laughs> so that's why I call myself a self-educator. Excellent. I, I love it because like you say, we all need tools. I mean, to be honest, you know, uh, mental health is, is a big issue and a common term that's used these days. But, you know, um, it's, it's not really a good thing to all label ourselves as being victims of mental health. I think it's just a case of, you know, we all have challenges, like you say. It's just that some of us have learned better coping mechanisms for dealing with those challenges. You know, so we don't really need to enable ourselves negatively when it comes to mental health issues. 
all we need to do is like you said educate ourselves better to enable us to cope with it better absolutely you are so correct the one of the things that i do when i'm working with trauma victims um and we've all had some trauma in our lives i don't know i haven't met anybody who's really escaped trauma um in one form or another so one of the things that I do, though, is to help work them out of that victim mentality um, to help them understand, yes, something uh, has happened that we don't like, but it doesn't benefit us to stay in that victim mentality, to continue to call ourselves victims. Um, so we really work to work that part of the human uh, brain understanding out um, and then create them you know, and, and I don't like using this word either because it's very overused, but then to empower themselves within themselves, understand that they are a stronger human being uh, than maybe they thought possible for themselves um, so that they don't fall into victim mentality again once another trauma happens. Yeah. You know, and trauma can be loss of job, a breakup, an mm. argument with your parent who you didn't want to fight with. It can be anything. We all take things differently. Absolutely. And like you say, it, it is about removing those negative labels from our vocabulary, such as calling ourselves or referring to ourselves as a victim rather than a survivor or thriver of that experience or event, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. If you walk through your life uh, believing that you're a victim, then everything that happens to you, everything that's said to you is hits you with like that as a victim, I'm a victim. Oh my God, I can't believe this person didn't bring me, uh, they brought everybody else in the office a coffee, but they didn't bring me a coffee. I'm a victim of being left out. It can be even the, what my point is, it can be even the smallest thing where we're, yeah, where we're slighted and it wasn't a slight, maybe the person who brought everybody coffee, uh, you were in the bathroom. And so they didn't even know you were in the office at the time. Um, So they didn't know, but you take it so, um, so hard. And so, but if we're not a victim, if we don't have victim mentality and somebody brings everybody else in the office of coffee and not you, then you can go downstairs and get your own coffee and you're totally hundred percent fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Like you say, it, it is, it can be the slightest thing that can make us, um, you know, perceive it as, uh, uh, you know, something to be offended by or not, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And so, so let's take that example and what I'm going to drag it into normalization. So let's take that example of somebody not bringing you a coffee. You have victim mentality. Thus you slide down into a rabbit hole of let's call it darkness. Um, because all you're seeing things in the dark, you're not seeing them illuminated. So now let's attach that to where did that come from? Where did that start? Where did that victim that what happened in your past to create that normalization of victimhood, because that's now your normal. Um, and so I, I give my clients, uh, people that I work with a tool called root digging and we root dig past, uh, experiences. And we keep going back, 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 back until we finally hit that root where it started, who was a part of it. Uh, what was their part of it? What was your part of it? Um, you know, part of not being a victim is also having responsibility and, and owning your portion of responsibility. Now that responsibility may be 
You know, it may not be 20 or 50 or hundred percent, maybe even 5%. But once we learn to own our responsibility, then things become much easier for us. It's easier to get out of victim mentality. You, that, that victim mentality is no longer your normal. You create a new normal for yourself. And, you know, you spoke about mental health earlier. Again, it's such a buzzword. It's such a buzzword now. Everybody talks about mental health, but how are you really addressing it? How yeah. are you really? Go ahead. Yeah, I think some people actually um, get a kick out of labeling themselves with negative labels, such as, oh, I've got this, you know, bipolar or whatever it is, when actually probably you know, we're probably all susceptible to those sorts of labels. It's just that some people have learned how to cope with it easier than others. Yep, exactly. And I'm going to go reference a a memory that I just had when you said that I was doing a lecture one time um, at a, at a university here in the States. And there was a girl in the audience who was bipolar. And um, so I was talking about, you know, we all don't need medication. You know, again, I've done a lot of a lot of research, um, and doctors have a tendency to sometimes over medicate people, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. yes. <laughs> so I just said, you know, sometimes we don't need medication. You have to find the right uh, medical provider for yourself. Um, and she just said she was so offended by what I said. Again, you know, she was bipolar, but she was also a victim. And so she's like, I'm bipolar and I take medication and I'm going to need that medication for the rest of my life. Well, that's what you were being fed. But she also, so once we spoke a little bit, part of her normal was to tell people that she was bipolar because that brought attention to herself and she loved that attention. Yeah. Yeah. You see it in people all the time, don't they? They they want to live up to the label they've been given don't they and uh, actually embrace it and and almost um uh you know like you say it becomes their normal yes and there's one thing to not be ashamed so so let's say for bipolar so there's one thing to not be ashamed of your mental health issue and but but again in moving away from victimization you have to not be ashamed of it but you also have to address it Hmm. How are you going to make yourself better? You know, how are you going to be better, not just for yourself, but for all the relationships that you have this one particular person, I'm not saying all bipolar people are like this, please, please, please people in the audience. I'm not late. I'm not lumping you into one group. Um, yeah, but for, for this particular person, she understood, she came to understand because she was bipolar, her parents gave her a lot more attention. And so sometimes her episodes were to draw in that attention. Mm. Uh, then she learned her family did the same because her parents would, would say, oh, she's bipolar, excuse her. So, so then her family started, so then her friends started doing that. So everything that radiated out from her, what became this, I need more attention and I get some great attention from this, from this issue. But she didn't understand that the, while she was getting attention, the, because we, we discussed this, the people around her were not comfortable. Absolutely. And the thing is that we can all, what it relates to really is that we will have certain human needs that need fulfilling and obviously you know that the need for significance that attention was a high need for her but there are ways to get that need met in a positive way 
And there are ways to get that need met in a negative way. And obviously, you know, having this label of being bipolar was, was not necessarily the most positive way to address it or manage it. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, she was still very young and she was still in uni. Um, so what's going to happen when you hit your job situation? You know, what's going to happen when you find your lifelong partner? Um, what's going to happen when you have children? You know, and so what I do is try to get people to understand their current situation. What's their current normal? Um, why are you running into this specific obstacle over and over again? You know, if that, if that, if they come to me and say, this is keeps happening to me over and over again, you know, why is that happening? Why is, you know, what is your normal, your current normal? And then when we find some um, negative issues that are impacting them, we work backwards to get rid of that normal and create a new, very healthy, wonderful normal for themselves. That still addresses that need, you know, that can still address that need for the significance, but in a healthy, positive way. Healthy, positive way. If you listen, we all want attention now and again. You know, we, we're human beings. We love, we love to be around other human beings. We love to be with our friends and and have a good laugh and and go to concerts and things like that. And and you know, even if you're one one of the persons in the group that needs that little bit of extra attention, so you're uh, the funny one, let's say, in the group. Um, we all have this need for attention, but let's do it in a healthy way. Let's get healthy attention. You know, let's, let's create positive experiences for each other. Yeah. I think this really needs to be addressed, doesn't it? Right from childhood, how to manage, um, and cope with, um, mental health issues, because these are issues that are normal for everybody. You know, yes. it's just like I keep saying, you know, some people have learned to manage and cope with them more positively and more effectively and other people haven't. So it's not that, um, you know, that we, we don't have empathy for people that are labelling or have been labelled as, for example, we've used the bipolar situation. We do, but we also recognise that, you know, that could easily be us if we decided to accept that as a label for ourselves and didn't have better awareness around how to cope and manage with it more effectively. Yes, yes absolutely. And then I'll, I'll give you another normal. So I was teaching class before COVID land happened. I used to teach classes in person. Um, and I really like classes in person because it gives me the opportunity to really um, watch uh, behaviors, listen to inflection of voice, um, you know, see little ticks happening, um, feel the energy in a person when it changes and they may become a little nervous. Uh, so then when COVID land happened, I had to move everything online. And so it's a little tougher, you know, I still try to do my best job, but in one of my classes, uh, we were, you know, there's always a, I, I go by it through a workbook and that, that I developed and the, there was a question on the table and this one gentleman, uh, he chose, he chimed in and he said, I'm a liar. <laughs> was you know? he lying about that? <laughs> well, you know, that's why I was like, okay, well, you know, are you lying now? <laughs> he says, no, he says, I I've discovered that I'm, I'm a liar. And so that was his normal. 
that became his normal at some phase in his life where he decided that he needed to lie, whether it was because he was doing something naughty that he wasn't supposed to be doing and he had to lie about it, or because he wanted uh, attention, a specific kind of attention. So let's say he wanted amorous attention. He would lie about his job position or, you know, how much money he made or something like that. So that a, a female would be more attracted to him and see that was his normal. And so we had to, again, work backwards, figure out where it started, why it started, all that stuff. Um, and then get him to a place of self-love. See, everybody's fix is different. Um, so for him, it had to be a place of self-love. He, at some point decided he did not love himself. And in order for people to love him, he had to be something else. Can you give us an example then, you know, this being a great case study as to where did that start for him and how did it come about that, you know, he felt the need or made the decision that, you know, being a compulsive liar was going to be his normal? Yes, absolutely. So in when we did the root digging, we found uh, we had to go back and there was a lot of instances of, of untruths <laughs> that we had to work through, um, but it became it came from his father. So his father was really tough on him and, uh, he felt as though, uh, this, this one specific instance where he was, uh, trying to build his father used to build stuff. So he was trying to build something and he, you know, mimicking his father to make his father proud of him. And he didn't do a great job, of course, cause he was young and that's okay. And so he ended up, uh, getting his friend. an older friend to help and then told his father that he had done it. And then, but his father knew the truth uh, because, you know, he saw his friend, his older friend coming back and forth and, um, and then scolded him and scolded him pretty badly. And so he just decided at that point that he was going to continue instead of going one way to say, okay, wow, I just got, you know, I got a whooping called it a whooping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got a whooping. And so I'm not going to lie anymore. Um, he just decided to make himself a better liar, um, to be a little sneakier (laughs) and, and that's where it started. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And that's why, that's why when we were in class, he was so, he's like, yep, I'm a liar. He was a little bit proud of it. Um, you know, and uh, proud of it. And then a little bit ashamed of himself as well, because, you know, we had had a huge discussion prior to that section of, of the workbook. Um, so, you know, and so then he said, he says that I'm a liar and there's a little pride, a little shame. And then he said, this is something I want to work on because in having the prior discussion, now I see why my relationships aren't the way I want them to be. Yeah. No wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so his normal, what was his normal? Uh, we again had to work out of him. What he was bringing into relationships was being a, a superb liar, <laughs> you know, being, being, a you know, a, an Olympic gold medalist liar, um, to, to, but seeing faults in the relationships, causing faults in the relationships. And then, um, and then now coming to my class and then really understanding why, um, what caused it and then how to work backwards and, and start being more honest and making healthy relationships, creating healthy relationships for himself. So when it comes to, um, 
you know, the question of what's your normal in relationships and, and we're specifically, um, you know, for the benefit of this particular podcast, referring to more um, romantic relationships. What's the common things that are examples that you could tell the audience about as to what could be the normal in relationships that might not be the normal for your partner? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a great question. So, um, in recent years, people have, uh, I think a book came out called the five love languages. Yes. And yes. And so people have really started to, um, again, it's now become a buzzword. So if you hear people dating, they'll say, okay, I want you to know my love language is touch. Um, my love language is gifts. My love language is quality time. And while that's great, it's great to know what your love language is. It's even better <laughs> to evolve from that and understand, well, if your love language is quality time, and that's what you're bringing to your relationship, that's what your normal is, is quality time. What are you asking your partner for? How much quality time is quality time? What about the quality time is quality time? That's your normal. Quality time is your normal, but it may not be your partner's normal. They may have affection as their love language. But if you're asking for quality time and the quality time is the two of you sitting on opposite ends of the couch, watching, you know, binge watching shows for four hours. Um, and that makes you super happy because while you're binge watching shows, you're also eating food. You're also, um, having some dialogue and, and that shows that that, that shows you that the person is hundred percent involved with you in that space and time. It's not giving them their love language. It's not giving them their affection. Okay, because that's not how they view affection. How they view affection is hugs, is kisses, it's holding hands. Um, so your normal of quality time, binge watching shows uh, for four hours, eating and, and having conversation is not their normal of, of it, it doesn't mean as much to them as it does to you. Yeah, it means something to them because they're still in the same room with you and and still enjoying that time. But it but it's it doesn't strike their heart. Let's use that phrasing. It doesn't strike their heart in the same way that it strikes your heart. You know, to where it grows and it bubbles up and you feel warm and cozy <laughs> and you're mushy. Let's use the word mushy. You're mushy and you just feel you know like you know love to everybody. It brings those same sensations, right? that love, that yeah. comfort, the mushiness, the, 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 the excitement, um, that love does that to all of us, but we all speak different languages with it. So I'm bringing my normal love language to the relationship. But if I'm not explaining to my partner what it does for me, they may miss a step. And if I'm not allowing them to explain what their normal is, we may miss a step. Absolutely. And the thing is, I think we've, um, you know, stopped um, having the dialogue with each other around what we want and what we enjoy and what we love. Because I know for me as a child, I, I grew up with parents who um, said, I want, don't get. So, you know, I want, the words I want was trained out of me. So, mm. you know, literally, I, I, I went into adulthood, not really what explaining to potential partners and current partners 
um, what I wanted and, and what I did enjoy because, you know, I was got punished for it, right, basically as a child. Yes. And see, that became your norm. Your yeah. norm became, I cannot ask for what I want because there's punishment attached to it. To whereas you may have found a partner who really needs to hear what you want. And so I'm going to go into sex. I don't know. I'm not going to make your show super racy, but I'm going to go into the sex. So we Absolutely. do that a lot. We do that a lot with sex where, where we get embarrassed to talk about what we want. And yes. I have, yeah. And I've worked with couples who've been married like 25 years and they've come to me and they're like, listen, everything's gone out of our relationship. Everything's gone out of our marriage. We want to stay married because we're best friends. You know, there's a lot of comfort. There is a lot of love there, but there's no passion. And there hasn't been passion for like 10 years. And I'll, and I'll say without judgment, because I am nobody to judge anybody else. What happened? What happened that you, that you were not having the best sex of your life every mm -hmm. time you have sex, you know? And so we'd have to, again, go backwards, figure it out, um, and then bring them to that space. And, and a lot of times it's in the youth, you're trained, uh, to be embarrassed by sex. You're trained to be ashamed by your bodily needs. These are bodily needs. What brings me to orgasm may not bring another woman to orgasm. You know, what brings one man to orgasm may not be what brings another man to orgasm or what excites one person may not excite another person. And so our norm to talk about sex, um, has to change if we're not getting what we need. And also even to admit to wanting or needing to, to masturbate, for example. Yeah. Why is that shameful? Why? You know, to, if you don't have a partner, you know, we all have libidos. And if we don't have a partner, that libido still needs to be satisfied. Um, and so if we have to self-satisfy ourselves, why is that something shameful? Or even want to do it in front of a partner as something that they might want to watch and enjoy. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. So it may not ring some people's bells but it may ring other people's bells. But until you bring it up in a conversation, that's when the two of you need to figure it out, you know, and, and come in. So I did, so I'm going to, so I did a lecture about sex uh, at Stanford university um, and a lot of kids showed up, but the beginning of the lecture, you know, you could tell people were so uncomfortable, the kids, you know, and they're in their twenties, but they were uncomfortable. Um, and so I, ke I kept reiterating, listen, you're young now, and I'm not going to delude myself and think that you're not having sex because you're in college, you're away from your families. Now you're away from, you know, uh, uh, your parents. Um, but while you're having sex, you have to bring a few things to the table. One is respect, respect for your own body, respect for your partner's body, and then uh, respect for the experience that two of you are about to have. The second thing is no judgment. In order for you to have complete fulfillment, you're going to have to learn from this point until forever not to bring judgment into the bedroom. This way that your partner is able to talk to you about what they are wanting, and you're able to talk to your partner about what you're wanting so that you have the best sex of your life every single time you have it. Or what's the point? Mm. 
you know, yeah. you, 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 you're not fulfilled. Um, and that goes in relationships with respect, with compassion, with communication, with your love language, with everything. And so I'm going to drag the conversation back to normalization. What are you creating as far as normal with your sex life? What are you creating as far as normal with your communication life? What are you creating as far as normal with your success, with your career, with your friendships? What do you, what, what is your normal that you're bringing into the relationships and how do you need to adjust? You know, how do you need to compromise some of that or unlearn some of it so that you have the most healthy situation that you can for the rest of your life? And the thing is that, you know, if you can't actually broach some of these subjects with your, you know, um, your partner, then, you know, it's, it's a very sad thing, isn't it? To think that some people have been married for decades and, I've never felt comfortable to really tell their partner what they want or, you know, share something they've fantasized about or, you know, feel ashamed about. It's, it's a really sad thing to think that that happens quite, and it's quite common, isn't it? Yes. Yes. You know, I was watching a movie the other day um, just because uh, I'm in a hotel in Los Angeles right now uh, working here. And it was with Charlize Theron and uh, Seth Rogen. And I don't know the name of the movie. I didn't catch the name. Um, but basically, she's a trying to run for president of the United States. He's a speechwriter. They actually knew when they were knew each other when they were super, super young. He's always had a crush on her forever and ever and ever. Um, and so he's is super excited to be working. They lost touch. So now he's super excited that she actually hired him and he's working with her, but he still has a crush on her. So she actually now starts having a crush on him. Okay. And then they have sex and, uh, and start really liking each other. So then the second time it's in the movie, this is the second time they have sex. So he throws her on the bed. They, they get on the bed. Um, and then she she rolls onto her stomach and she says, take me from behind and then slap me on the ass. And he was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> was like, oh my God, what? And, and then she turns around. She's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm sorry. Am I being too bossy? I have a tendency to be bossy. I don't mean to be bossy. He's like, no, I just, I just never thought, I never thought that would become a, come out of you. Like those words. And she says, well, well, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm bossy. We'll do it your way. We'll do it however you want to do it. And that's fine. And, you know, cause I want you to be happy too. She didn't use those words, but that's what was coming out. And then, and then she says, and then flip me over, slap me on my ass and then choke me a little bit. And I was like, <laughs> okay. She, she's being a hundred percent honest. Good for her. She's telling him right in the beginning of their, her relationship with him, what she wants. And his mind was blown, but he's getting to understand her. And that's starting in the beginning of your relationship. Now, you may have a fantasy that you want to try with your partner who you love and you do it and it doesn't work out. The, the fantasy was much better than the actual, than the actual reality. <laughs> yes. And the reality of the situation and, and the both of you talk about it and understand that it didn't work out and that's fine. Don't create a huge amount of disappointment around it. No, just yeah. laugh it off, laugh it off, <laughs> move on to the next thing. And it's okay. Yeah. You know? absolutely. Again, don't create a normal, you know, normalcy, us creating normalizations, normalcies 
it's a big thing. So don't create the normalcy around, oh my gosh, we keep trying these fantasies and they don't work out. Therefore, all of our fantasies suck. Don't do that. No. Just, yeah. Just, just think, well, that one didn't, you know. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> there's, yeah. There's, uh, you know, a whole host of other things that we can probably Google or, or think of <laughs> ourselves but, <laughs> that we could try that would be great fun. Yeah. So, so, you know, sex and relationships is a big thing. And and like I was speaking about before, so is communication. What's the normal rep? What is the normal means of communication that you want to have with your partner? Are they quiet talks? Are they excited talks? Are they um, timed talks, meaning scheduled talks uh, where you guys come together once a week, discuss your week, discuss maybe kind of things what that happened, um, even happened in your relationship, but you're doing it in a really comfortable, uh, beautiful space with each other. What normals are you creating in your relationship? Yeah, I love that what you said off air previously around what your normal was against, you know, what your partner's was when you first um, got to know, I don't know whether it was your current partner or a previous partner, but you said you come from a family of... Um, the louds <laughs> the louds yes that was it yeah so i come from a family of the louds that's what i that's what i named us um and it's because uh my mother used to be in the kitchen and let's say i was in my bedroom she'd literally scream my name out uh and and you're supposed to like you know jump jump to attention and, and run to her uh but scream anybody's name out and so that just became the normal of you know, you just scream whoever's name out. And then if they're in the other room and they're not able to come to you, you just have this shouting conversation from room to room. <laughs> and that was normal. Um, you know, my grandfather had 13 children. So our family get togethers were massive. Um, and so it, it was a cacophony of, of, voices <laughs> and you had to really be loud to have your voice heard. Um, but my first relationship, uh, when I had my first boyfriend, uh, he would always say, why are you so loud? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? This is normal. This is my normal. No, it's not normal to be this loud. <laughs> You come from a family of deaf people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so once I met his family and they were also soft-spoken, because um, again, that was my normal. This is what I understood to be normal. Um, so when I, when I was invited to his family dinner and saw that they were also soft-spoken, it was really eye-opening for me uh, to, you know, and then, and then the comment uh, that I got later on, um, he says, you know, my mom doesn't like you. And I said, well, why doesn't she like me? And she said, and he said, because you're too loud. And I said, well, is that, is that, is that it? Like, is, is that my <laughs> deal break one awful trait that she's judging me by? <laughs> like that can't have a relationship with you. And he says, yeah, kind of. He says, she, she says, you're really sweet, but you're just too loud. So, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How did you respond to that, by the way? Yeah. The well, I just understood, you know, uh, that just didn't work for her. And, you know, so she wasn't going to be e either. I was going to have to make some serious adjustments, um, which I did, but not in that relationship. But it took me a while to break out of that norm of being so loud and, and, and 
learned that, you know, I can damage somebody's eardrums with my decibels. Um, (laughs) So to break out of that being loud and create a space in my family with my daughter and my son, where I wanted them to not grow up like that. I did want them to see the other side. Like when we do go with the family, uh, it was going to be very loud, but in our household that we could be soft-spoken and still hear each other and still respect each other's comments and, and communication. Excellent. So I've really enjoyed talking about this subject around what's your normal in relationships. Any other pearls of wisdom before we wrap up the episode, Monica? Um, well, I appreciate that comment very much, uh, Lynn. I have enjoyed speaking with you as well. So I'm going to ask you a question really quickly. Um, what have you learned from this conversation that we're having? Yeah, I, I think my my normal was um, being living up to the label of being a clumsy oaf. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Because my mum labelled me clumsy as a child because I was always breaking things or tripping over things or smashing plates accidentally whilst I was doing chores and things like that. And I I can remember just living up to that label, you know, um, and Mm. always being quite clumsy as a child, but realising, you know, when I become more aware and more, um, you know, into self-educating myself that, actually, I don't need to carry on those behaviours that contributed to me being clumsy and uh, still having that as a trait, as my norm, my normal behaviour. So yeah, that's me. Absolutely. That's wonderful. And, and by the way, we can start a club. I'm clumsy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought I was clumsy. I was, I, you know, since I started walking, I was running into walls. Um, and it wasn't until my ex-husband pointed it out to me that I understood um, why I was clumsy. So my brain works at a rate that's that just it's like a 200 mile an hour bullet train. And um, and he said to me, he says, do you know why you're clumsy? And I was just like, well, because I'm clumsy. I don't know what. <laughs> and he said, no, he says, you're always you're way ahead of yourself. So while you're walking to the room in your mind, you're already in the room. Yes. So if there's a wall in between you and the room, <laughs> you're going to run into, into it. it. <laughs> exactly. I can relate. <laughs> see, I knew that you could. I knew that you could. I knew I see. I can tell that we're connected in this way. So I just had to learn how to tell myself, okay, you're still walking. You're still walking. <laughs> you're still getting there. Um, while I was already doing whatever I was doing in the room in my head, um, I had to understand that I was still walking. Yeah. I, I had to sort of retrain myself, you know, when, when I almost sort of dropped a plate at any moment, I was think I had to sort of retrain my mind to think I'm always careful with fragile objects, you know, yes. <laughs> and, re- and reinforce that language to myself. And the same with a uh, quite common, it was quite common for me to like you said, bump into walls or door jams because I was ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so again, you know, I'm always careful about how I walk between rooms and 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 just sort of re- reinforce that language any time I sort of bump myself or something like that. It, yes. it wasn't a case of to reinforce that I'm clumsy. It's reinforced. I'm I'm careful about how I enter rooms. <laughs> 
exactly. And see, see how your, your first normal was embracing the fact that your mom called you a clumsy oaf. Then your second normal became to understand what you were actually doing and why you were doing it. And now your third normal, okay, you've moved past the other two. And now your third normal is to understand how you, how to move past it and embrace this healthier mindset, you know, and so not calling yourself a clumsy of not call it, not being derogatory towards yourself at all, just understanding the situation and then doing a course correct to fix it, you know, yeah. and, and it being okay. It's okay. There's no, there's nothing bad happening. There's nothing bad about it. Once my ex-husband pointed out, he was my husband at the time, but um, once he pointed out, I really sat and thought about it. I was like, okay, okay. So how do I course correct out of this? And it was just, uh, you know, rewiring a little bit and there's nothing wrong with that. When we start, like you say, labeling ourselves, um, with derogatory labels, um, it's not beneficial for us. It's really not. No, not at all. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Monica. I'd love you to share what is your best contact information for the benefit of any of our audience members that would love to reach out and connect with you. Okay, so you can go to my website. We just revamped the website and I'm really proud of it. So if you go to the website, www.exceptionallifeinstitute.com, I know it's long, but I wanted the whole name in there. Um, you can see you know, what we've done, uh, a new course we have on there. It's called Relationships Evolved, Forging Bonds That Last. Um, it's a beautiful course. It's helped people revamp their relationships in such healthy ways. I'm so proud of it. Um, and then there's a contact page also there um, that you can reach out to me, leave comments, uh, suggestions, maybe, um, you know, uh, tidbits of information that I might appreciate because I'm always appreciating them. Uh, yeah. So exceptionallifeinstitute.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for your conversation today, Monica. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So have I, so have I, Lynn. And thank you again for inviting me. I really appreciated you and, and being here in your space. Well, no doubt have Monica on again in a future episode. But until then, remember, true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group, Two Hearts Entwined, or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.